Hello there, and welcome to The Time Machine with Trish and Mike. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. And this is episode 20. Dun, 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 dun. Who would have thought? I know, right? I mean, we thought, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know when you start these things. Because, you know, you, you start doing them, and once you kind of get in a routine, it becomes more... But, you know, when you first started, it's a lot more work. And then over time, we've mm-hmm. learned each other's workflows, and it just it's a smoother process now and we're we're good yeah i think so and we're here at episode 20 and you're here too and we're glad you're here how has your week been mike uh it's been fine it's been uh it's been all right uh i got my second shot last week so i'm almost fully through the the two-week cycle after the Mm -hmm. second shot of being fully inoculated so i'm good that's exciting think how all the stuff that's going on in your immune system right now i'd rather not (laughs) (laughs) it's it's working overtime right now i don't want to think about it i might want to take a nap but uh no all all in all i had really no issues and nothing you know major uh very little bit of arm soreness but nothing that was in any way hindering or i didn't have to take uh, you know, ibuprofen or Tylenol or anything like that for nice. it. Um, you know. Yeah, the only Ca- thing I had with my first shot was like a headache, slight headache a couple hours after. But yeah, again, I, I, I was like, you, I didn't take anything. And I mean, a little extra tired, uh, especially after the mm-hmm. second shot. But otherwise, I'm I'm good. So yay, good, that's fantastic. Hope you had a good Mother's Day this past week. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, the weather wasn't great. Um, it was kind of you know chilly and gray but we had a nice tea with some really fancy pastries from a dutch bakery here in the city so shout out to dutch delicious nice yeah glad that you had a good a good time the weather here actually kind of cooled off for last weekend so that was kind of nice because it it, yeah i mean the because the week leading up to it it had legitimately been like 94 95 which is That's August weather here, yeah, no, typically. Like so I said, it's... I don't like anything really too much above 70, so. <laughs> uh, but... And then, and I apologize for my voice, because of course we have gone into, uh, I mentioned last week that we were in distance learning, but now all schools in Alberta, including elementary schools, are distance learning. So that was a nice little bonus before Mother's Day, like surprise, all your children are going to be home with you while you're also trying to work full time teaching your own children. <laughs> So there there are three of us at home doing school on three different schedules. So that's been great for my brain this week. <laughs> and for your internet. <laughs> and for my internet. Good thing I upgraded. Just I when I when I moved because I moved to a new apartment a couple of weeks ago, it was like, yo, I'm a teacher. We're likely going back into a lockdown at any point in time. I need the best internet you can give me. <laughs> yeah. Well at least the year's almost over and hopefully things will be somewhat normal for you in the fall so yeah yeah hopefully fingers crossed as we just roll out more vaccines then we'll be a bit safer next year good 
good, hey, good. it's adventure. You learn how to be flexible. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're doing good with it. So, first item for today. Yeah, what is it, Mike? Did Share. you do you know the first cartoon that Mickey Mouse premiered in? I do know this. It was wasn't it Steamboat Mickey? Steamboat Willie. Oh, Steamboat Willie. That's right, because his name was Willie before changing to Mickey, right? Right. Well, everybody yes, says no. Steam. Well, everybody <laughs> says Steamboat Willie, and that's the first one that people knew. But that really wasn't the first one he was in. What really? May fifteenth, nineteen twenty-eight. Mickey premieres makes his debut in the animated short film Plain Crazy. I have never heard of this. So it was a short film made by Walt Disney, and it was you know by the Walt Disney Studios, and it was the first creation of the character Mickey Mouse. It was a silent film, and it was given a test screaming, screening, but they could not get a distributor for it. No one was interested in Mickey. Nobody was interested in Mickey. But Do you later- imagine? Think no. Think about if they just like nope. That's it. No exactly. Disney World. Yeah. So later that year, Disney released Steamboat Willie, which had sound, and that one did catch on. And so they wound up re releasing Playing Crazy the next year with sound. So it, mm-hmm. you know, did wind up eventually getting out. But it was not the first. The first one was Playing Crazy. And it's on YouTube. You can watch it yourself. I don't even know if I've seen it. Now I'm going to have to go Google it. It's like four minutes. It's it's a pretty short little little thing. Well, Steamboat Willie's not very long. No. And and a lot of the shorts back then weren't either. Mm-hmm. So it was done with by Walt Disney and Herb Iwerks. Iwerks was the sole animator for the short. And he did it in just a little bit over two weeks by doing over 700 drawings a day. Oh my goodness. What would be the time frame on that? So 700, if you're working like an average eight hour day. You would be drawing, uh, let's see here. That's insane. 700 divided by eight hours. That's 87 and a half drawings an hour. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Which you're doing, so you're doing a drawing in less than a minute. I mean, to be fair, when you go back and look at it, it is fairly basic animation. Right. And you're doing the cells so yeah. you're not having to draw the backgrounds and we are talking black and white so it's mm-hmm. it's re- it's reduced to its simplest form basically right and i highly doubt that he was doing it in eight hours right yeah he's go- he's gonna have a longer day than that but i'm just thinking i was just yeah. throwing out like an what average kind of pace day. do you have to do <laughs> right to maintain that it was the first animated film to use a camera move as well because prior to that animation had just would be have has solely been done in the cells, but there's a, a shot in the movie where the, you're on board the plane and they actually move the camera to create an illusion. Interesting. That's yeah. so cool. I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to have to Google it because I honestly watch, I'll Google it and be like, oh, yeah, in the recesses of my memory as a small child, it'll be I, a hidden memory, right? Probably not. <laughs> but oh, no. you never know. <laughs> You never know. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's neat though because, it, like I said, everyone says Steamboat Willie, and yeah. it technically, I guess, was because it's the first one that most people saw, but it wasn't the first one he was actually in. Oh, now the more you know. 
That's going to be an excellent uh, beer trivia question. I feel it. And you could probably get in an argument because I bet you the your trivia host will probably have Steamboat Willie as the answer and be like, uh-uh. to the Google you proof. go, you are wrong. Give me the points. I, don't know. I like it. Yeah. So that, of course, led to, as we all know, Walt Disney World and Disneyland and parks all over the world. So you've been to the park in Florida, obviously, numerous times. Correct. Any of the other parks? No, I've, I've never been to California, so I've never done Disneyland or California Adventure, never been to Japan, never been to Europe or any of that stuff. So I've just done the ones here because we've got four parks here. We've got Magic Kingdom, which is what everybody thinks of as Disney World. That's mm. the main park. You've got Epcot. You've got Disney's Hollywood Studios, which I still call MGM Studios and Animal Kingdom. And then you've got the Blizzard Beach, which is the water park. You've got Disney Springs, which is like a whole outdoor shopping center development they have out there. And of course, they've got like 15 hotels. It's a big old area. See, and I don't think my randomly walking just to the gates of Disney in California counts as going to the park. (laughs) I mean, you've technically set foot on Disney Soil on Disney property. Yep. So you can you can say that. Um, what's interesting to me, and having never been there, but I've seen it on a map. And if you've never been to Disneyland, look it up on a map. It's very interesting how small, first of all, it is compared to the vast swath of land that Walt Disney Company owns here in Florida. But literally across the street from the entrance of Disneyland is like a McDonald's. Like, because when you come here to Disney world, it's an entirely self contained. Like once you turn off, I four to go to Disney. McDonald's. I did. I walked from my hotel to. It was my first uh, adventure in eating in America on that trip. And, because the Anaheim <laughs> Convention Center is right across the street as yeah. well. So it's yeah. like, it's really, it's a completely different experience when you come here to Florida. Because like I said, you turn off the interstate, you go to Disney World, you're driving on Disney roads for a little ways. And it's a whole separate, like you, you're in this bubble that you're the outside world. You're like a whole different world, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only, like, if you're in Disney Like, if you're in Magic Kingdom, the only outside thing, really, is when you're in, you know, some of the stores or something. Mm -hmm. Because, like, Disney has, you know, products with other national brands or something. So, you might see, you know, like, they have, like, these Disney lounge fly backpacks, you know, or just other different little... Outside brands. Now, Disney Springs is a whole different thing. There's tons of brand names and stuff out there, but otherwise, you just exist in your own bubble. So it literally is the happiest place. There's no distractions from the outside world. Right. Exactly. Well, speaking of parks, that leads us into our next little episode segue story. I don't know if we call these stories. Segment. Segment. That's the word I need. My yeah. brain is, is done from online learning with proper vocabulary. <laughs> but okay. May 19th, 1911, um, 
Parks Canada is going to be founded and it's going to be the world's first national park service. So the American system is not going to come until uh, five years later in 1916. So you were ahead of us on this. We were for once, for once Canada (laughs) did something before you guys. Uh, The federal agency now known as Parks Canada, obviously established in 1911 under the name of the Dominion Parks Branch. And it's charged with administering a small group of parks and reserves, and it's the world's first national park service. Uh, A century later, Parks Canada administers uh, a greatly expanded system of protected areas that spans the country. It includes 42 national park reserves, 167 national historic sites, and four national marine conservation areas and marine parks. So it actually goes a lot further back than just 1911. The origins to our national park system actually starts in 1885 when the federal government sets aside a small area around the hot hot springs at Banff for public use. So uh, the town of Banff is really popular in Alberta in um, the park system itself, where a lot of people go and, you you know, you get to tour the, the Rocky Mountains and see all the sites there. But the hot springs that are created by the you know, the natural geo, uh, geo, what do I want to say? Not geographical. Geological. Geological. So founded by the geological. Summer's almost here, Trish. It's okay. You don't I have know. To, you, you don't have to hard, think man. as much in the week. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, if you go and, and get to utilize these hot springs, they're really nice. I haven't actually done them in Banff, but they also have hot springs in Jasper, which are really nice. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because you're talking about the Rocky Mountains. I don't know that a lot of people necessarily think of the Rocky Mountains extending up into Canada. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I think go... I think the average person thinks, oh, they're just in Colorado. No, it's a no, long, it's way long yeah. trail. Yeah. And I mean, it's actually the same chain of mountains that go down into South America, too. Like, you can just follow that uh, tectonic plates that are, you know, converging together, creating these Rocky Mountains. But yeah, it goes all the way up there. They're beautiful. The first time I drove into the Rocky Mountains, I was actually terrified. It was kind of interesting. It's like this weird phenomenon if you're not used to being in that type of landscape. So, of course, I've grown up on the East Coast and I'm used to the oceans. And we have the Appalachian Mountains, which are really old and rounded and not very tall, right? But again, same thing. People think, oh, they're just kind of in the Carolinas. No, they... Clearly, yep. as we've learned from your childhood, expand into Canada as well. Go ahead. Sorry. to. No, no, it's good because, yeah, like you said, people don't know. And um, the first time I went into Jasper, um, I don't know, like 15 years ago, I actually started to get this like feeling of dread, like pressing in on my chest. And it took about 45 minutes of finally being in the mountains when you're driving through the little valley road to kind of calm down enough to be like, I'm okay. But my body really was in kind of uh, the fight or flight mode there for a second. So it was really weird. My sister-in-law, who was born and raised on the prairies here in Alberta, she said she had the exact same experience when she went to Nova Scotia and saw the ocean for the first time. So that was really interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, it's just so big. It like freaked her out. And I'm like, well, the mountains are so big. They freaked me out. (laughs) And the the roads you have to go on to get up these mountains can freak anybody out. Yeah. I I actually haven't, um, I've never driven up to where the hot springs are in Jasper. It's like a really winding road. I've driven through the Rockies for part of of a trip that we took to 
to Vancouver. Um, but it's not, you know, the most fun to go on these windy roads with steep mountains on either side of you. Yeah. But they're beautiful. If you ever get a chance, anytime I say like when Americans are like, oh, I'd love to go visit Canada and see you. And I'm like, well, you know, Edmonton's okay if you want to go see the, the West Edmonton Mall. Or, um, you know, we have the beautiful conservatory with the, the pyramids, they're glass pyramids, and they have all kinds of different plants in them. That's lovely. We have a really beautiful river valley. But I'm always like, you know, the mountains are only like four hours away. Let's go. And I'll take you there. It's like, you're here. Great. Let's leave the city. Let's go somewhere where there's something else. When you <laughs> have the, these mountains. <laughs> and you have the ice castles in the in We the did winter have the ice time, castles, yeah, right? in the wintertime. Yeah, that's an annual thing, pretty. right? Uh, they started, so this would have been the third year of them being here. So oh, so here. it's, it's, it's a, new, a new thing. Okay. Yeah. It's like a new company that just kind of started popping up. And they do have them in, in different American cities as well. But this was this would have been the third winter for Edmonton. But, of course, oh. COVID. That's just the reason for everything, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I, I thought it was more like an Edmonton thing. I didn't realize they had them throughout. That's kind of yeah. cool. Like, we have here, we have had restaurants um, that are like ice bars where it's below freezing and everything's made of ice and you have to wear a ice bar. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. I've never been to one of those. Yeah. And then we have a thing here at Christmas time at the, the Gaylord Palms and they do them in other cities throughout the U S as well, where they do uh, Gaylord ice at Christmas time. So they have like ice sculptures and there's oh, like cool. a whole theme of one year it's Charlie Brown. The next year it might be How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, right. And it's all these different ice sculptures and everything. It's really, really neat. That's cool. So Edmonton does have Ice on White. Edmonton has a lot of different festivals. And Ice on White is one of them. So they do a similar thing, like ice sculptures. And they'll make ice slides. And you'll have hot chocolate and different vendors. And that's really cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds cold. But, but um, bon. It sounds cold. Ooh. I'll let that one slide. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll let that one slide. Like an ice slide? I've had, too much, I've had too much coffee today. You can do that at Gaylord Ice. Hopefully uh, coming to a Gaylord hotel near you this Christmas. I've never heard. I've heard of Gaylord only in the terms of like meet the Fockers. Like having that. Oh, name. Gaylord Fokker. I didn't Fokker. know it's like a yeah. thing. I didn't know it's a brand. Mm-hmm. Gaylord Palms. <laughs> yep. It's funny, though, in, uh, to go back to our national park. Topic. Oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. <laughs> that's what we were talking about. In 1911, we only have uh, five national parks in Canada, and they're all along the Canadian Pacific Railway line. So it was a way uh, to encourage people to get into the parks, but it really was just for the wealthy kind of individuals, and they were really trying to figure out how can we get more regular people into utilizing these park systems and introducing um, the gentleman by the name of James B. Harkin. And he's going to be appointed as the first commissioner to head the park system. And he's going to be the commissioner for 25 years. And during that time, he was really influenced by a gentleman by the name of John Murr, who was all about setting aside land, encouraging environmentalism and people respecting kind of the land and utilizing it appropriately. So during that 25 years that uh, Harkin is in charge of the system, Canada is going to add 13 national park systems. And now, of course, um, we have 48 national park systems in total that cover about 3% of Canada's land mass. 
I was curious about America and your park system. So like I said, yours was established by Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson in 1916. But you guys have a lot of parks. So you have 423 national park sites in the United States, which are also uh, extended into your territory. So Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, America, Samoa, and Guam. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which makes up 3.4% of your landmass. It's interesting. It winds up being the same, roughly the same roughly. percentage of land. Yeah. But of course, since Canada is significantly so larger, <laughs> yeah, your parks are bigger. But we have more of them. Yeah. And then we also have them, state so. parks. Do we have state parks? I'm assuming you have provincial yeah, we have provincial parks. parks. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And city so parks. So there's one not far from me, which is really nice. And city parks. We have a okay. lot of city parks. Yeah. Basically, if there's like a spot of green in the city of Edmonton, the city's like, that's a park. <laughs> and it's going to stay a park for six months out of the year when it's white. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, everyone just hides indoors. <laughs> but do you know which... Uh, I didn't actually find out which province in Canada has the most parks, but I did find out which state has the most parks. I'm going to guess got to be California, probably. You are correct. California All has right. nine. Alaska has eight. Utah has five. And then Colorado with four. There you go. Yeah. I mean, California kind of made sense because it's a pretty big state. So It's a big state. I was thinking Texas when I was when I was first looking it up because, you know, everything's bigger in bigger Texas. Bigger in Texas. Yeah. yeah. It's Texas. But it's not number one in this but on this list. Not number one. California. So... Is the place to be, load up the family and move to Beverly Hills, that is. (laughs) No? Okay. Well, uh, not Beverly Hills, but in Los Angeles, California, on May 16th, 1929, the first Academy Awards ceremony was held at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Sounds so fancy. How much do you think tickets were? For the first oh, Oscars. Math question, Mike. <laughs> so, nineteen twenty nine. Oh, okay. Oh, can you? Oh, my brain is instantly now going to the fall of twenty nine. Right, like these people have no idea what's coming. Right, the Great Depression. Anyway, yeah. Back to <laughs> ticket prices. Okay, nineteen twenty nine, Los Angeles, and it's highfalutin. I'm guessing twenty five dollars. Five dollars. Oh man! <laughs> so your your Starbucks order, your Starbucks coffee could cost more than your Oscars ticket would. Uh, in modern currency, that would be about seventy five dollars. Which oh my gosh, that's still really that's cheap. right. I mean, that's I'd pay seventy five dollars to go to the Oscars. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, me too. I don't even know. Can you even get tickets to the Oscars? I guess. I mean, I know with COVID, I mean, we just had them and it was differently and. So a quick Google there, Mike, for whether or not the public can get tickets for the Oscars. Uh, you actually go to the uh, Oscars website and you register to sit in the bleachers that line the red carpet. Uh-huh. Uh, 700 people will be chosen from the public. Tickets are free, but you're basically okay. chosen from a lottery. It's a lottery system, right? Yeah. because It's I've, not the actual award show themselves, which is right. unfortunate. It's just the red carpet part. Yeah, because I would figure that most of the people attending the Oscars are probably members of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Mm -hmm. Sciences, I would think. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the nominees and stuff are always down front because they need to be ready to go on the stage. So Uh, how long do you think, because 
one of the things with the modern Oscars is they're so long. I mean, the ceremonies like three and a half hours long and it's just, it never ends. The first ceremony, they presented 12 awards. How long do you think the ceremony lasted? 12 awards. And there's probably not like ads happening or things like that. Like you're not having to pause obviously for commercials and things. I'm going to guess like an hour and a half because you're including speeches. 15 minutes. What? The whole ceremony was over in 15 minutes. Yeah, it was. They're just like banging it out there. Like I can't even do my classroom awards in 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the, the awards were created by Lewis B. Meyer, who went on to, he formed the Lewis B. Meyer Pictures Corporation, which would go on to be merged into Metro Goldwyn Meyer, as we now know, MGM Studios. Mm -hmm. And so he created the awards to find a way to honor and unite the branches of the film industry, the writers, the directors, producers, technicians, to honor their achievements and to kind of help promote going to the movies. Part of the reason the ceremony was so quick is because there was no television or radio broadcast and is the only Oscars never to have been broadcast. They began broadcasting on the radio starting the following year. And then eventually, as TV became a thing, they were on TV. But you just think like all these important and famous people are showing up in one spot, right? They're taking time out of their days to be honored. And... There's going to be speeches. They're going to like take time to get the envelope. You'd think it would be longer. Like you think an it would hour place more importance. Yeah, yeah. Than just 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's literally just open up the envelope. Here's the winner. I don't even know if they did speeches. Like, see you later. Good job. Right. Like, thanks for coming. Pick up your gift basket like, on the it way out. Be longer than longer to get my makeup on longer to get into the dress. Than 15 minutes. Longer to pick the dress out. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be ticked, (laughs) actually, to be honest. But if you got the little trophy, then, you know. I guess so. You're doing okay. You know, a lot of people try to guess who was going to win these awards and stuff. And that brings up a very interesting Canadian band with a very neat connection to your country. Gee, I wonder if if can can I guess who you might be talking about that might have had an American hit? Woman, will you please tell me? <laughs> so May 18th, 1970, the Guess Who's hit song No Sugar Tonight reaches number 1 on the US Billboard charts. The rock band from Winnipeg has numerous number 1 hits over the years including These Eyes and American Woman which I thought was very neat. Um, I don't really remember No Sugar Tonight, but American Woman, like everyone knows that one. Right. right? And if they didn't, American Lenny Kravitz version yeah, would have. Yeah, with Lenny Kravitz's, yeah. what, that was 05, I think he did the the remake of that song? No, I think it was way before that. That was like 2000s. Was yeah. Oh, my brain is firmly just stuck in the <laughs> mid <laughs> Everything was like five years ago, right? <laughs> and then you're like, holy sugar, that was like... 25 years ago. I feel old. But the American Woman track is is actually the B-side of the record for No Sugar Tonight. So 
I just thought that was neat that, you know, it reached number one. American Woman's going to reach number one later on in the in the 1970s, like later on in the summer. But mm-hmm. just funny that No Sugar Tonight kind of is the A track. A side. That's the song. Yeah, that's, that's the side that you're going to have your, you think is going to be the better song. Right, because at the time, singles were sold. You know, you'd get the little uh, 45 RPM records and you'd have whatever the featured single was and then you'd always throw another track from the album on as a b-side just as hey you we literally are gonna have to put something on the other side of this record so here enjoy this song this one yeah Yeah. and And just i think that one's more popular overall yeah and there are other examples of that through music history where the b-side winds up being the more popular song song more popular i can't think off the top of my head which song it was thing where the dj just he literally played the wrong side accidentally or something because oh, he, he went to play that track to fame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It may not have been Beatles, but that, that happened with some significant song of some kind. I don't remember what that well, was. Now but... we're going to have to Google that one and figure it out where it's going to fit in which episode. By the way, 1999 for Lenny 1999? Kravitz. I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> Just I mean, a little bit. Sense. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I guess so. I have to put myself back into 1999 when I was in grade nine. Yeah, it's like high school just blends together. It's like all the years are. High school all blends together. I mean, I guess 05, I was already in university for two years. But it's close enough that it still (laughs) blends into that mind gap of, you know, 16 to 22, where it's like you have no concept of time and 30 sounds old. old And yeah. Well, the band, the Guess Who, is going to originate in 1962. And it's going to uh, reach international fame with a hit single uh, with a cover of Shaken All Over in 65. But really, they found their most success in the late 60s and early 70s. And American Woman is going to be released in January 1970. Um, obviously, like we said, on the B, the B track of No Sugar Tonight. What is interesting about American Woman is, of course... Um, a lot of people have speculated on what the lyrics mean, right? Mm-hmm. And its involvement in the draft for Vietnam and the politicalness and blah, blah, blah. So the song just randomly was improvised on stage during a concert in Southern Ontario. There's debate up, uh, among the band members of which concert it was. One, one guy, Randy Bachman, says that it was in a concert in Kitchener. Although the lead singer, uh, Burton Cummings, said that it was in the Broom and Stone, which is like the most Canadian thing ever, a curling rink in Scarborough. So they can't quite remember. So you can maybe, you know, allude to what was going on in their life in the 70s and why they can't remember when they were doing it. I but think just, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but they just start kind of jamming. And there is actually a kid there with a cassette recorder making an illegal bootleg copy of their concert and rather than get bad at the kid they're like hey you get over here and record this you know just riffing (laughs) and so he does and gives them the tape and they note down the lyrics and words that he used and they kind of revise them a little bit later on but uh although it's been debated that it was about the draft like i said uh Cummings, who composed the lyrics, said in 2013 that they had nothing to do with politics. He just said, what was on my mind was that girls in the United States seem to get older quicker than our girls, and that made them, well, dangerous. When I said American woman, stay away from me, I really meant Canadian woman, I prefer you. 
And it's all just a happy <laughs> accident that people thought it was about the draft. Okay. Then. So, apparently I'm not dangerous, y'all. <laughs> Until they get to know you. Until they get to know me, then it's trouble. Watch out. Yeah. Run. Canadian woman, stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so no sugar tonight. I can think of somebody who was getting no sugar back in the Tudor time. Is it my time to shine? It is. It is your Tudor time. It is two minute Tudor time with Trish. I love two minute Tudor time. Yay. You are absolutely right. Not uh, Anne Boleyn. She's definitely not getting any sugar. No. Uh, Henry VIII, he's getting a whole lot. Right? Yeah. May 17th, 1536. We did talk about this in one of our very first episodes, uh, but I'm going to keep it real concise here. Hence the name Two Minute Tutor Time with Trish. Minutes. I know, I'm going to rush. Go. Uh, Anne Boleyn right, obviously fell out of favor with King Henry VIII uh, after she could not give him a male child. She's going to bear a female child in 1533 who's going to grow up and become Queen Elizabeth I, usher in the golden age of, you know, British history. Anyway, Henry gets tired of her. He decides to make a change. He's been having adulterous relationships with two of the Queen's maids of honor, Madge Shelton and Jane Seymour, the latter who is fast gaining the King's affection. Boleyn's going to be accused because, you know, Henry's got to get rid of her, bump her off because needs the males. So he's accusing her of sexual affairs with male members of the court. He actually Which accuses is her very of ironic considering what he's running ironic, around right? doing. Okay. Yeah. So kings are allowed to have affairs, but if queens do it, that's a big no-no. And he also accused her, accuses her of a relationship with her brother, which was like to scandalize her in front of the court. Ooh. Right? Ooh. So she's going to be sent to confinement in the Tower of London. Her trial is going to be real quick. Uh, it took place on May 15th, 1536. Uh, on, like I said, May 17th, he's going to annul the marriage to make sure that in the eyes of the church, it was never actually a legitimate marriage. And then uh, he's going to send her to her death on May 19th. So two days later, beheads her. And it's by a French swordsman, which was seen as a great act of mercy. And then on May 30th, so very few days later, 11 days later, he's going to marry dun, 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 Jane Seymour. Didn't see that one coming. That's, you know, real quick from um, sentenced death, sentence annulment death, remarriage. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to go on in history to profess that Jane Seymour was the absolute love of his life. Of course, Jane Seymour is the only one of his wife's uh, wives that does give him a male child. And the only one that survives. No, she dies in childbirth. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's she his last a- wife, Catherine uh, Parr, who survives. That's right. She and was then, number five. Yeah. Yep. And she dies That's in right. childbirth, too, a couple of years later. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Mm-hmm. Well, the one well, that he so, did No, so she was her, three. Uh, she was three then, if she died. Jane Seymour? Yeah, yeah. She died in childbirth. So she was three, not five. Or no, then there, yeah. Then there's two Catherines, Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr. It gets confusing, y'all. Yeah, go back and find that episode. Personally, I like the one that he made into his sister. She really came out on top. 
She got money and houses and didn't ever have to marry anyone ever again. Well, good for her. Yeah. There's no real transition to make, so we're just going to make it here. May 17th, 1900. <laughs> the children's novel, to which Henry VIII is clearly not a good children's story. Mm-hmm. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum was first published in the United States. I love The Wizard of Oz. It is such a good story and movie. Yes, the uh, the iconic 1939 live action film was of course based on this book did you know there was a broadway musical adaptation in 1902 really so not wicked's not the first adaptation nope the first adaptation was based on the book literally two years after it was released how popular was it do we know? Uh, it was quite popular. So the first copy that came off the press, he actually pressed by hand or assembled it by hand and gave it to his sister. And by Aww. October of that year, it had already sold out of its initial printing of 10,000 copies. And the second edition of 15,000 copies was almost gone as well. That's a lot for that time frame. It is. By the time... The book entered the public domain in 1956. Over Mm. 3 million copies had been sold. Wow. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. So they debuted a musical on June 16th, 1902, The Wizard of Oz. And they designed the costume. They kind of tweaked the story a little bit to make it from a children's book to a little more adult. I mean, not like you know, anything crazy, but it just made it a little more of a general story as opposed to specifically a children's story. And they modeled the costumes after uh, W.W. Dinslow's illustrations from the original book. Oh, cool. And the publishing company that published the book went Mm -hmm. bankrupt in 1901. Oh, they did not invest very well, did they? They, they did not. And uh, so they agreed to have the Indianapolis-based company Bob's Merrill Company resume publishing the novel. So that way it w- they could continue to you know sell copies of books. And now, I mean, when you figure, you go back to 1900, but even if you just go back to 1939, you've had now four or five generations yeah, grow up with up The Wizard book. of Oz. Yeah. And you know, the, well, and I know that, my girls love it. Yeah, and you know that um, movie is so iconic for so many reasons. But because you have, you know, that scene, like I can't put myself in someone's position back in 1939. Imagine going to the theater and seeing this movie. It's in black and white, and then all of a sudden, it's in color. Like it would that, literally be like magic. It would be like that yeah. would blow your friggin' mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, even as a little kid watching it on a VHS, when that scene happens, it is so magical. It is, but right? but you you on a big screen, I can't even imagine. Well, right, but I'm saying in your childhood, you've seen already at that point oh, other oh, stuff yes. in color, right? Yeah, because this was really one of the first movies to take advantage mm-hmm. of the Technicolor system, and that's that's a whole side discussion we can do for another day of how the whole process works but it's i mean 
go to a movie and just to see that. I mean, any movie you really get that. I can't think off the top of my head a specific example, but there are other movies where we've seen black and white or, you know, transitions to color or maybe a flashback in black and white. And that's kind of cool. Like um, WandaVision, you know, that just right. wrapped up yep. a few months ago. The first couple episodes are black and white. And then you do have that color transition that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it still makes for a good effect to this day that's what i when i mean though like when you watch it as a little kid like you said we are used to growing up with color television and just how magical that was for us like you said putting yourself in the position of those per those people in 1939 it would just be mind boggling yeah i would love it who's your favorite character do you have one? <sighs> um that's a good question um, I feel like this is like a, one of those personality tests. Like we can base your who you are based on who your favorite Wizard of Oz character is. I, I'm sure it is. Can somebody send me a BuzzFeed link to find out to take the quiz? Uh, <laughs> I guess I know. I mean, because I like different aspects of each of them. So that's true. I, I guess I'll say Tin Man. Yeah, see, I really like Tin Man, but um, I like Scarecrow. You know. Mm-hmm. I think I I now as an adult relate more to Cowardly Lion after having like figured out my own anxieties in life. Yeah. And I like the strength that he has. I just think it's interesting that you have a story and I'll be honest, I have not read the book. I, okay. I don't know if you have like, either. Oh, you're one of those. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> right? Like, come on, whatever. I've seen the movie. <laughs> um, but it's just interesting to think of these character traits, like you talked about, like, mm-hmm. you know, this, the cowardly lion and anxiety, how that can still be relevant from something that was 121 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or even, like I said, I, not knowing how the book is, but even if you just take the movie from 1939, we're talking something 80 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Classic. I wonder if he, well, I think no one actually realizes when they're writing or creating something that the impact it will have. You hope as an artist that your work will have impact, you know, for hundreds of years, but I don't know if you necessarily anticipate it. Yeah. Cause you never know. I mean, obviously, you know, we still have Shakespeare and that stuff is hundreds of years old. It's true. But One thing that a individual by the name of Edward Jenner probably didn't anticipate was how his brief science experiment would drastically affect us here in 2021. So on May 14th, 1796, Edward Jenner, a doctor from Gloucester, England, successfully tests his vaccination for smallpox on an eight-year-old boy named James Phelps. And actually, this is where we get the term vaccination. So they, uh, he's going to grow up. He's going to get involved in science. He's going to um, see dairy maids. There's a thing called um, cowpox, right? Which is very similar to what smallpox was. Okay. But dairy maids, when they would milk cows, would be exposed to this cowpox. And because it was so similar, they developed an immunity to smallpox. One really gross kind of trivia thing I discovered while I was researching was the term pock means sack in like, England, like old England, old English. Mm -hmm. I can't talk. And they would call it smallpox to distinguish between great pox. And do you want to know what great pox was in the 15th century? 
large boils that would grow on your skin? It was very gross. It was reference to syphilis. Oh. Yeah. You're like, ew. So Jenner's actually going to take, basically, this sounds disgusting, pus from a cowpox of a dairy maid, and he's going to basically inject it into this little boy, which, you know, totally goes against modern science ethics. <laughs> I think but we would do a little it. more testing before we do this nowadays. Yeah. But continue. But he did it, and then he uh, exposed the boy to smallpox, which, again, not really ethical. And the boy did not develop smallpox. He's going to write a book that's going to be called, or a booklet, rather, that's going to be called An Inquiry into the Causes and Effects of the Variola Vaccina, a disease discovered in some of the Western countries of England, particularly Gloucester, and known by the name of cowpox. That is a mouthful for a title. And the Latin word for cow is vacca, and cowpox is vaccina. And so then he decides to pronounce this new procedure, vaccination. And that's where we get that term. So kind of cool. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Hundreds of years later. Do you watch The Walking Dead, Mike? I will be honest, I don't. So. No? Have you ever watched any? Yeah, I've, I've seen like one or two and kind of me parts like i i know some of the characters but okay i mean i, I like i know you know daryl and um uh, uh the guy with the bat negan and you know right. I, so I, I know some of the so some of the main dudes so you this yeah. you probably don't know this character but fans of the walking dead would if you remember the cdc scientist from season one edwin jenner the writers actually gave him that name as a nod and honor to Edward Jenner. So there's your pop culture trivia fact. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Interesting. It's crazy to think the different ways that names, because like, I think it was the first or second episode we talked about how um, James Bond was named after somebody that uh, studied birds. Yes, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, so cool. Mm-hmm. I always tell my students when we're reading a book, it's like, what do you think this, like either look up the meaning of the name or we try and find, you know, the writers don't necessarily just give a name because they like it. There's usually some sort of purpose. Or sometimes it's just random. But... Sometimes it is just random, but I also like to see them kind of scramble and figure it yeah. out. <laughs> and the show is random sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how life is. Exactly. And that's why you keep listening every week. And you have for the last 20 weeks. And we thank you for doing so. But if you didn't. Oh, no. If you don't. Not only do you get no sugar tonight. You get no Disney Plus tonight. You try to go log on and and the servers are down and you can't log in and so you got no sugar, you got no Disney. No bad batch for you tonight. No. No. Mm-mm. But since you've been here and you've been here for twenty episodes, may your evening be filled with sugar, Disney, and all sorts of other wonderful things. As always, if you have any questions concerns, queries, or freakouts, you can reach us at our Gmail account, 
the time machine with Trish and Mike at gmail.com on our Instagram account, the time machine with Trish and Mike uh, YouTube. You can find us there. Please Google the time machine with Trish and Mike hit subscribe and like, and help us be, you know, legitimate there. Uh, you can also contact us through the anchor app and leave us a voice message that we can include in our show. Yes, please do all that. And we will see you next week on the time machine.